Is there a recovery in a record state budget? I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org, my broadcast partner and brother in crime. Ben Max is off tonight. He's from GothamGazette.com, but they have him working too hard, so he needed the night off. And now we'll shift to a local voice and a different voice, someone who from the advocacy world and as a policy expert has been studying the needs of New York City amid the, amid the pandemic and certainly what's been going on in Albany on the budget to potentially address those needs. And that is Emerita Torres. She's the vice president of policy, research and advocacy at the Community Service Society of New York. Ms. Torres, welcome to Max and Murphy. Thanks so much for having me, Jared. It's a pleasure. Thanks for being on. Welcome to the show. What is your overall reaction to this very big, very complicated state budget that is, I guess, um, becoming reality as we speak in Albany? What's your overall take? So overall, I mean, it's a huge step forward for New York State. You know, lawmakers took a major step in creating, first off, a more equitable tax system and, in essence, a more equitable New York. Uh, We've seen through the pandemic how disparities around income, race, and health have been exacerbated. So, you know, we need we need revenue and we need funds to, to address some of the issues that we see. So taxing high earners and corporations who have benefited over time from preferential tax treatment. We saw millionaires and billionaires profit during this pandemic. So having them now uh, be required to pay more to ensure that the state is on the road to recovery is, is very much necessary. So we're happy about that. Um, also, you know, the taxes, the revenue that, that we're going to have now, um, that, that $4 billion is going to go partially to funding excluded workers. Um, excluded workers have served as a backbone for our economy uh, during this time. So having this, you know, over $2 billion fund is going to be crucial to support undocumented workers, the formerly incarcerated, and others who haven't received a dime in federal or state aid. I mean, you saw uh, workers uh, on a hunger strike for 23 days, you know, a massive movement, a uh, massive coalition built um, that's going to, you know, that is now delivered um, and the state is now delivered for the for these excluded workers. There are around 300,000 uh, excluded workers across the state, including 67,000 in New York City alone. So this is also, you know, critical, unprecedented. Uh, we've seen similar funds uh, in the state of California and also in the city of Seattle, but nothing to this scale nothing that's going to provide uh, this level of, of coverage. And then I'll also just add on housing, you know, there were significant um, successes we saw uh, in the budget, you know, $2.4 billion in rent relief, crucial, um, not only for the relief portion, the actual assistance that's going to go to landlords and tenants, but also housing security. So that's uh, included in there is a year of eviction protection, eligibility of up to 100% of area median income. And it's, you know, anyone is, is, is eligible regardless of immigration status. That is also crucial. Uh, and we find that it meets the scale of the crisis. But at the same time, you know, with this program, we've seen the state before, um, you know, create and carry out rent repayment schemes that have failed. They failed because of eligibility requirements. They were too strict and the like. And so it's going to be really important that the state act quickly and, you know, as fast as possible, you know, before, you know, the May 1st eviction moratorium deadline to, to ensure that, uh, renters and landlords can actually take advantage of this program. Um, I think we were also disappointed at a couple of things in the budget. I think one, we really wanted to see the housing access voucher program pass. It was a casualty of the budget. The housing access voucher program was slated to be a state funded uh, housing voucher program, similar to section eight at the federal level. It was going to provide $200 million in funding for the next fiscal year, particularly to support homeless New Yorkers of which we have around 95,000 at this point. So it was really going to secure housing and prevent displacement. 
we're also disappointed around NYCHA funding. Um, you know, NYCHA has been, you know, we have a $40 billion backlog uh, with respect to NYCHA, uh, their, their capital budget. We were expecting, you know, at least around 750 to eight to $800 million for, for NYCHA. Instead, we got around $250 million, which is, you know, like crumbs. And so, um, you know, we know this is a responsibility also at the federal level, but we were expecting much more. And now, you know, NYCHA is at a critical point. And so we need um, we need our federal legislators to step in and really fight for us, which hopefully we'll be able to do with the upcoming uh, infrastructure package that President Biden has has proposed. Yeah, stay on the vouchers thing for a second, because that really puzzled me. And that's something that, as you mentioned, has been kicked around for a number of years. The idea is that the city you know, has created all these different vouchers. This would unify them. It would provide a deeper value so that people who have vouchers are actually able to find landlords willing to accept it. Do you think it was just a a victim of that the budget eventually, you know, passed some dollar sign that was uh, the the ceiling? Or is there some sort of ideological opposition to this mechanism in Albany? You know, I think tips were certainly traded. Um, and, and again, this was, this was a casualty. We have a city, you know, we have a city based, uh, voucher program steps. The issue with that program is that it's not, we don't have enough of the vouchers and it's not pegged to, you know, the fair market rate for, for rentals. So, so we have that problem. I think that, you know, we're eventually going to get there on housing, on the housing access voucher program. It's certainly something we're going to push for. It's unclear now beyond sort of trades and, and, and the political machinations that have happened behind the scenes. Um, but it's certainly something that we're going to continue to push for moving forward. You mentioned the importance for good implementation on the rent relief provisions. And I think or I wonder if that also extends to the excluded workers fund. Um, it strikes me, especially when you are dealing with a population of workers who are undocumented, many of them, and who therefore might have some concerns about interacting with the government that people have to be pretty thoughtful and delicate in how it's implemented. What do you want to see happen on that? What needs to occur to make sure that the people who uh, we are targeting that assistance for actually get it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, this is a big fight, you know, leading up to the approval of the fund. Um, you know, we have to be delicate. We have to be careful. Unexcluded workers are, you know, the least seen, but they're the hardest working and, and they're the backbone of our of our economy. And so I think, you know, the self-attestation forms are going to be important. It's important that they be respected. Um, you know, they uh, excluded workers don't have things like pay stubs or, you know, paychecks and things that they receive. They're, they're, they're paid off the books for the most part. You know, you're talking about restaurant workers, dishwashers you know, car drivers. Um, and so it's going to be really important that, you know, there was discussions around, you know, photos and, and text messages and conversations. If these sorts of things are accepted in a court of law, they should be accepted um, as proof that they are able to accept these funds. Um, they haven't received, again, a dime in federal or state aid. And so it's going to be critical um, that we have some flexibility, that the state has flexibility in allowing um, this crucial, crucial population of workers to receive the aid that they need. Shifting to the federal relief bill, which obviously is in the background of what just occurred at the state level, you wrote recently in Gotham Gazette about what you see as some of the significance of that bill longer term and that it really, you know, while it is obviously a one term relief bill, it represents at least a temporary reorienting of how federal tax policy works in terms of the credits for um, for for people who have children and other elements. Um, How hopeful are you, how confident are you that that represents 
uh, a more permanent shift in the approach of Washington to taxation and especially how taxes affect working class people? Or do you feel it's just a one off? What do you think the long term prospects for that kind of reorientation that you alerted us to? What do you think the prospects are? Mm-hmm. You know, I think the prospects are really good, actually. Um, you know, the, the the federal relief package uh, represents, uh, from what I can tell, a, a real reorientation of social policy um, and a real uh, push for economic justice, particularly for low-income and middle-income families, both who have suffered uh, from the pandemic and even before during the Trump administration have suffered from, from a lack of relief. You saw, you know, crumbs being given in really low uh, stimulus, uh, stimulus checks being given out um, to to uh, struggling families. So we see this, you know, as a real rethinking around addressing poverty, particularly for also children. You know, children are going to receive upwards of $3,600, uh, or families of children, rather, under six, are going to receive uh, benefits of up to $3,600 per child. Um, it's at least 50% higher than um, the, what the, the, the credit uh, previously allowed. Um, so this is cash assistance for over 90% of children. They're going to see they're going to receive some form of cash assistance, and this is going to lift upwards of 230,000 children out of poverty who live in New York. Um, and that impact is real. It's going to cut poverty rates for Black and Latinx children by half. Um, so it's it's really a, a big deal. And I see it, you know, just given the fact that we have a majority in the Senate, you know, we have control of the House. It's going to be. I, I can see us moving forward on this trajectory, especially with the infrastructure package. Um, that that's coming up the pike, you know, a focus on equity, a focus on support from the lower uh, and, 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 and the middle uh, uh, income um, households to really be more supported by our government. I see a real change happening. So help us take a step back to absorb everything that's happened over the past few weeks in terms of New York City and where it stands amid this uh, combination public health and economic crisis that COVID-19 has been. Um, obviously, you, you know better than anybody the situation the city has faced in terms of massive unemployment, um, a sluggish recovery that maybe is gaining more steam now as things begin to open up. Um, But we have this very large federal relief bill, a lot of the benefits from it flowing to New York State directly and New York City and into individual taxpayers, as you just mentioned. And now we have this uh, state budget that has these different mechanisms for um, trying to address some of the needs New Yorkers have. When you combine all that, where is New York City now in terms of the pandemic and the economic and human impact it has? Have Do we now have the tools for a relatively smooth recovery? Um, is there a lot more that needs to be done? Kind of where are we compared to where we were two months ago in terms of the, the city's needs? Mm-hmm. You know, I think we're certainly in a better spot. I think the issue now is going to be, you know, certainly adjusting some of our policies to support uh, low-income New Yorkers who have been struggling, uh, working-class people who have been struggling. You know, with health care, you know, it's a matter of equity at this point. You know, we've seen now the opening of, of vaccinations to wider populations, whether it's age or it's wider, uh, uh, better ways to provide vaccines to hard-to-reach populations. We're certainly seeing that now um, at the city level. You, you have mobile vaccination sites, for example. You have... Um, sites where people over 75 years of age can walk up and get a vaccination. So we're certainly making improvements there. What I am fearful of, and I think the money will, will certainly trickle down to the city level. I mean, we even saw at the federal in the federal package money allotted, particularly for New York City, $6.5 billion coming from the federal package, around um, $6 billion, I believe, for the MTA 
and another carve out for uh, for schools and education. So there's certainly money coming down from the federal level. There's money coming down from the state level. I think now is a matter of how do we create the policies and strengthen the policies so that these monies get to the right people. Um, I'll also say that, you know, one thing that the city will face um, with regard to, to jobs, I mean, we have a, we have a very high unemployment rate, about 13.2 right now. Um, and the majority of, of those who are unemployed happen to be in face-to-face industries. We're talking retail, we're talking, um, in some cases, healthcare, we're talking restaurants, leisure and hospitality. And these are, are jobs that, you know, with the, with the labor forces in place, such as automation, remote work, the pandemic, um, it's going to be really important that we invest not just in physical infrastructure, but in human infrastructure. So I'm talking job training programs, um, workforce development. We need to create um, school-to-career pipelines and really invest in the human infrastructure that we need to lift people back into the workforce. And that includes women, you know, women who have mothers who have had to stay home during the pandemic, who haven't been supported. So I think these are the kinds of programs that are really going to boost our city's economy to the next level and to recover from this pandemic. And let's talk then about the city's response, because we've talked feds, we've talked state, New York City, obviously the scene of the 2021 campaign for mayor and other offices. CSS has for many years surveyed the unheard third working class New Yorkers living uh, at or near poverty or below poverty, what their priorities are. And you've done that again for this year and shaped some questions for mayoral candidates around that. Given what we've seen from the state, which might address some of those issues, what do you think are the most pressing questions that New York's unheard third has for the people running for mayor? Thanks. So I think, you know, what's going to be really important. So we have a voter guide um, that we put out and we hosted uh, two mayoral forums, uh, one in February focused on health care and another on economic security and, and uh, housing that we that we uh, held in March. And through that, you know, our unheard third survey, it's the only scientific survey uh, for low income New Yorkers. Uh, for, for low-income households uh, in New York and across the U.S., so it's, it's quite special. It's quite unique. Uh, in the survey, or excuse me, in the and in, in those survey questions influence the voter guide, and we focus primarily on five topics: addressing the disparate impact, uh, the disparate economic impact of COVID-19. So we looked at jobs, economic instability, income in, income inequality, and how to change these these forces. Also, ensuring a more equitable future for New York City. So we know that issues to uh, issues related to good paying jobs, affordable housing and health care were already difficult for working class New Yorkers. But the pandemic exacerbated these things. So what we look to to do with these questions is really focus on the future and what an equi- equitable and just future for New Yorkers uh, will look like. And then, you know, we focus on uh, affordable housing. It's no surprise that we face the housing affordability crisis. In our survey, we saw that low income renters were hit the hardest by job and income loss, so they can't afford to pay their rent. Also, a, a big issue for New Yorkers is NYCHA, um, the capital, both the capital backlog that we have and the lack of repairs um, that we've seen. One in every five NYCHA households have suffered job and income losses uh, or are imminent to fall into rent arrears. And nearly, two, and nearly two-thirds of public housing residents have heating issues, leaks, mold, uh, and major repairs that they need to, uh, that, that, that are serious problems uh, where they live. So these are the other, these so that's another issue is, is, is affordable housing. And then finally, um, or, or almost finally, is addressing health inequities. You know, we saw that pandemic job loss also led to the loss of health insurance, particularly for low-income Lat- uh, Latinx New Yorkers. We've seen unequal access to health care across the board, um, particularly among Latinx and, and Black communities in particular. 
and then also reforming our, our criminal justice system. You know, this year, uh, last year, and, and this year, we've seen a series of publicized police killings of civilians. So police reform is, you know, it's on the New York agenda. It's on the national agenda. Nine out of 10 New Yorkers, or 77% for our survey, believe that police officers need to be trained on, on, on local issues, local conditions, racial awareness. So these are the sorts of things that, that uh, low-income New Yorkers are looking for uh, for their mayor to address. And just as a final question, uh, New York City's local elections in recent years have seen pretty abysmal turnout. And this year, especially if we haven't reached herd immunity by June, um, there could be new barriers, unique barriers to people participating. Do you think the unheard third is going to vote in large numbers in 2021? Or I guess more to the point is, what do you think the Board of Elections the campaign finance board, the individual campaigns need to do to make sure that that part of the city's voice is heard and their ballots are cast come June 12th, June 22nd. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, I think I think more people will come out now than certainly they did, uh, you know, in previous elections last year, for example, just given, you know, where we were with the pandemic. I think more people certainly will come out. I think that, you know, we have a really diverse set of candidates and with ranked choice voting, you know, candidates are now are now forced, you know, to reach out to, you know, untraditional, non-traditional constituencies that they maybe, you know, did not believe in the past they needed um, in order to get the vote. And our, our constituency, you know, we're one third, low income New Yorkers represent one third of the electorate. So we are a powerful voice. This is a powerful, powerful voice of, of four New Yorkers. And so, you know, I think between early voting, absentee voting, you know, outreach, you know, increased outreach from the Board of Elections. You know, we need to invest in new technologies um, that allow for, for example, at bus stops and train stations and, and the like to really promote, you know, where the election is, how you can vote. I think we need to, to double down on our outreach uh, before June 22nd so we get as many people out as possible. You know, I saw, at least in some of the uh, early elections, the special elections in the Bronx in uh, District 15, we saw an extremely low turnout. Um, and so I'm really hoping that, you know, with increased outreach that we can do better. I hope so, too. Thank you so much, Embrita Torres, Vice President of Policy Research and Advocacy at CSS New York. If you want to see the results of their voters guide, uh, please go to CSSNY.org to uh, check out the Unheard Third over the years and this year in particular. But thanks so much for joining us. Come back to Max and Murphy soon. Thank you so much. Take care. And I hope you have a great week in the greatest city in the world.